Welcome in everyone to episode 114 of the Batfoot Podcast. My name is Damien here with Matt and David. This week we are bringing the AL Central offseason review slash season prediction uh, episode. But before we get into all of that, David, how are you doing this week? I'm doing all right. You know, we uh, we missed last week, but even before that, we missed you, Damien. So we're glad to have you back. Um, and it's been a, a good week. Pitchers and catchers have reported. We're getting batting practice videos and, uh, you know, some extension news that we'll cover once we arrive at those teams. But, uh, you know, it's it's been nice to have some, some baseball content to consume. And uh, spring training should start pretty soon. But, uh, Matt, how you doing? Doing pretty good. I uh, had a... A good, uh, good couple weeks here. Been took a weekend trip to Nashville this past weekend, so uh, that was a lot of fun. Go see my brother, and he lives up there. And I uh, went to. Um, I'm ready for ready for baseball. We got we not only pitchers and catchers, but uh, position players reported today. At least in a lot of places. I don't know about everywhere, but I know the Braves position players reported today. I saw a tweet about it, so um, I uh, I'm excited. Uh, we actually have games starting spring training games starting on Friday, I believe. So. Uh, very exciting uh, to get started. You know, we're hearing all those murmurs coming out of camp, you know, rumors and stuff about who's looking good, who's not. You know, you can take those with a grain of salt here this time of year, but uh, but I'm really excited and, and it's getting close. How you doing, Damien? I'm doing great. Um, you know, sad I had to miss the last episode, but I was feeling a little bit under the weather. Um, but so good to be back here and uh, give my thoughts on the AL Central here, but... Um, you know, just happy that you guys were able to fill in for me this last, uh, last episode and keep us all afloat so we can, uh, we can keep chugging along. Cause like Matt said, it's here and, uh, we got seven weeks straight of, uh, predictions and preview episodes. So buckle up guys. Cause it's going to be a, a long road here heading up, uh, you know, towards opening day. But uh, let's go ahead and start with the American League Central, uh, you know, division breakdown, uh, offseason pre- uh, preview prediction. I don't know, whatever I'm trying to say. But uh, let's go ahead and start with the Kansas City Royals. Um, you know, we're going to pick one player we like, one player we're worried about, uh, an offseason grade, and then kind of the outlook for each team for 2023. So, David, let's go ahead and start with you and the Kansas City Royals. So, who do you got that you're uh, you're excited for for 2023? I, I got on it first and I jumped on Bobby Witt Jr. Um, just because I, the, the last guy with this much electricity um, that I can remember, maybe Tatis, but really before that, it's been a long time. Maybe like Alex Rodriguez with a guy with this much power potential and speed potential that isn't just a, you know, a, a complete disaster when it comes to approach. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr.'s really exciting and and he might be one of those future superstar shortstops he got overshadowed badly by adley and julio rodriguez this season uh in the rookie class but i mean he had 20 homers 30 steals uh a 99 wrc plus and played okay defense at shortstop and he's what 22 years old i mean there's only room to grow and he's already you know got some really elite tools uh, former top prospect. I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do. I think he's the type of guy with these new rules that could steal 50 plus bases and he's got the power to hit 30 home runs. So this is the kind of profile that, you know, teams are just drooling over. Matt, who do you got for, uh, for who you like this year? Yeah. Um, I, uh, I like Vinny Pasquantino. Um, I'm always a sucker for these guys that have really good approaches at the plate and, uh, Vinny Pasquantino walks a lot and he doesn't strike out. Uh, I think the power will come. 
you know, this past year in his 20, in his 72 games in the big league level, he had a 137 WRC plus. Uh, he's not going to add much value defensively, but this is a guy who's going to hit, uh, have a, have a pretty good average at the plate. He walks a ton, going to, you know, have a really good on base percentage. The slugging wasn't fantastic last year at 450, but it's good. And I think it'll continue to get better. But 137 WRC plus is is really solid, and the projection systems like him to have a 130-ish WRC plus. He's playing in the World Baseball Classic soon. Um, I really, really like this guy, and I think he's going to be a great player. He's going to be their best. I think he's going to be their best hitter. I think as an overall value, maybe Bobby Witt because because of being able to play shortstop and maybe the base running. But I think Vinny Pasquantino is going to be their best hitter. So I really like him going to, into this year. But um, but uh, Dave, uh, Damian, who do you who do you have? Uh, well, one note I want to say on uh, on yours real quick on Vinny Pasquantino. I wish I would be able to find the video or who knew it so I could link it or, or should tell you guys to go watch it. But it was something about a breakdown between Vinny Pasquantino and what his outsider stat cast numbers kind of would look like uh, if you broke it down. Who he's really comparable to, and it's Freddie Freeman actually. Uh, between the O swing percentage, the chase rate, and everything like that, it was it was almost identical. And I even Pasquantino even beat him out in, in chase rate. So it was it was really cool to see that comparison. I'm not saying he's going to be Freddie Freeman, but that's the kind of profile you're talking about here. Is somebody who kind of compares that way, and you know, at such his young age, if he's able to harness that moving forward, um, watch out for Vinny Pasquantino. I I really do like that pick as well. I love Vinny Pasquantino. Um, Confirmed. Yeah. Uh, but for my player, I went with uh, MJ Melendez. He was supposed to be the heir apparent catcher to Salvador Perez. Uh, played a lot of outfield this last year, so who knows where that's going to end up looking. Hit 23 homers, um, you know, a 237 on average this last year and a 321 on base. He doesn't scream, you know, a guy who looks like a breakout, but his baseball savant page looks really, really good outside of him striking out too much, which a young player is going to do that and his expected batting average. But I dug a little deeper into it and the way that the shift hurt him this last year, I'm very big on, on a guy who is able to pull a couple more of those balls, either up the middle or right into that gap where the second baseman was used to be sitting in the outfield. Um, I really, really like what he can do potential wise. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I like. I mean, I like him too. I, honestly, the Royals, and we'll talk a little bit more in a few minutes. But I, I really like their some of their young guys. I think they're they're kind of building a pretty good young core. But all right, so let's jump back to David. And who are you worried about? It's hard to pick one on this team, uh, but their outfield currently consists of Edward Olivares, Kyle Isbell, and Drew Waters. And suffice it to say that I'm very nervous about the production coming out of that outfield. I think they're going to be maybe, if not the worst outfield in baseball, one of the bottom three uh, in terms of overall production, in terms of power and just everything. Uh, you know, Drew Waters definitely has some upside, but Isbell was really bad last year. Olivares is an unknown and, and they just didn't do anything to add. Um, so, yeah, that just in general, the outfield, it it's very, very scary to just have not tried to grab anybody that you can, uh, you know, develop a an upside play for, except for maybe Waters. But but still, it's just it doesn't look good. Yeah, I, I can't can't argue with that. I, I don't really like their outfield that much. And I mean, as somebody who, 
you know, watch Drew Waters a lot. You, you know, I just – I know that he looked decent in his big league cup of coffee last year, but, man, I just don't don't feel like he's going to turn into a really good player. He thinks, I think he's going to be okay because he's going to play good defense, but I just I, – his approach scares the heck out of me. But, uh, but yeah, my guy uh, I picked for that was Salvador Perez. Um Listen, Salvador Perez is a guy – he's the scariest 33-year-old profile you can find because his value is tied entirely into hitting home runs and, and power. He's, his approach at the plate is really bad. He doesn't play defense anymore, and he – his contact rates really aren't that good. Like, he literally has to hit tons of home runs for his him to have any value. And last year, he dealt with some injuries at times – and he had a 108 WRC plus, but he's basically a DH now. And 108 WRC plus for a DH isn't cutting it. And I just don't really see where a rebound is going to come from from that because unless he just suddenly has way more power than he had last year, or then as as, as, unless he can, continues to hit for a ton of power, which at age 33, who knows if he's going to continue to do that? Like he's not going to have any value like on base, getting on base, you know, defensively, base running, like. He's literally a one-trick pony at this point. He's had a great career. I don't mean to down Salvador Perez's career. It has been really good, but he uh, – I, I definitely don't think he's the star catcher that I think a lot of Royals fans still believe he is. So, uh, But we'll see. Uh, maybe he can uh, Maybe he can hit 48 home runs again this year. You never know, but we'll see. Yeah, so the, the one that I'm worried about – I mean, it would have been Salvador Perez had Matt not – got him in there before, but it's probably their one bright spot on the pitching side this last year. And that was Brady Singer. Um, you know, looking at his stats, he had a really good ERA at 323. His FIP was a 358, but I mean, the underlying numbers, a 397 expected ERA, the, the X FIP was actually better than what he, his actual FIP was. But if you look at his baseball savant page, there's a lot of blue there. I think he got really lucky on a lot of his outcomes. Um, you know, if he's able to develop, more than he will be able to, you know, frontline this rotation. But Kansas City has not been able to show that they are willing or good at developing pitching at all. Um, and with that outfield, like David mentioned, being a worrisome there, um, you know, and, and just I'm not sure the amount of defense you're going to get at second or third base this year either. Like, I'm just really worried that he's going to regress a lot and not be the one lone bright spot that that pitching staff had because uh, I know David's going to talk about it, but it's really bad. Yeah, that that does the, the defense does scare me some um, because, like you mentioned, I mean you don't have any infield spots that you feel like you have a really good defender at. I mean, maybe second base with Nicky Lopez, but I, I mean if he's playing second, but like everywhere else, it's just it's a it looks rough on their infield defense. So yeah, alrighty. So David, what is your grade and outlook for the twenty twenty three season for the Kansas City Royals? I was sitting here thinking about it, right? And we were we were kind of going over it. And I, I changed my grade. I went from – I was thinking it was like a C, C plus. I've dropped to a D. I, and, and, and for one very specific reason is that I am extremely down on a team that is not willing to take chances and spend a little bit of money. Not necessarily to stay afloat, but you've got to have some flippable assets at the deadline. You've got to have some guys that you can – you know, on a one-year deal that you can flip and you can feel good about going into the season that, hey, we're going to get a little bit of production out of these guys. This team doesn't have that. It is all young, young prospects with tons of ceiling and tons of upside and then a 
bunch of untradeable, you know, inning eater pitchers and, uh, you know, Salvador Perez, he's not going anywhere, right? Like this is a very, very dangerous spot to be in because this is not a competitive team, but you are going to burn through Bobby Witt Jr.'s controllable years and Pasquantino's controllable years if you cannot at least, you know, get a, a quicker path to, to com- contending again. I mean, they've won a World Series within the last 10 years. Yeah, I, I, I really disagree with that. I think that they're a team that, I mean, nobody, you're not going to be able to spend big on players because nobody's going to want to play there, even if you were willing to spend a lot, you know, because that I'm team's not saying, not I'm not saying spend yeah. a lot. Like, I'm saying, like, you need to have your one-year guys to come in that we know are going to be decent for one or two years that you can flip at the deadline for right. that, that kickstart. You have to kickstart yeah, your mean, rebuild that... with spending to some degree. You can't just idle. Right with Zach right. Grinky because no one's trading for Zach Grinky at well, the, the deadline. Like you're not, that, it, you can't do that. The things that I like, I mean, some of these non these minor league contracts they signed, like Fran Mill Reyes is a 27 year old who, not too distant past, was really pretty good at the plate. Like yeah. you've got a rolled <laughs> a rolled Chapman who you signed to a one year deal. Who you know if he finds it again, like. You know he's been an elite closer in the last two years. I mean he was he was awful last year, but like that's the type of deals I think we're looking at. You know wanting. I mean Ryan Yarbrough is a 31 year old pitcher they brought in from the Rays who has been fairly successful there. I mean maybe you can get him flip him at the deadline. I mean, he it's he would be, be hard the one guy. Find, yeah, it's gonna be hard to find guys that like are gonna want to that are legitimately like you're pretty sure are gonna be good this year that are gonna want to sign a one year deal with the Royals because they're just gonna go play somewhere bad. I mean. Like, uh, so it's, I mean, I, I like some of the moves they made. I mean, they brought in Josh Taylor from the Red Sox too. Maybe another guy they could potentially like flip at some point. Uh, he's also a little bit controllable. So, I mean, I, I gave him, I mean, I gave him a C, but I mean, I, or C plus. Cause I, I did like a couple of those moves just off of the fact that I do think there may be some assets they could flip, but that's what I gave him was a C plus. So. Yeah, on my side, I just gave them a C, and I just want to see them try to develop more pitching. Like, they need to develop pitching. I know I hit on that earlier, but you're going into this season right now, and your rotation is 39-year-old Grinky, 32-year-old Jordan Lyles, Brady Singer, who's 26, 31-year-old Ryan Yarborough, and then 27-year-old Brad Keller, who had a 5.09 ERA last year. Like, you have uh, – who's it? I think it's Jackson Kowar down there. You have – Chris yeah. Bubich, Daniel Lynch, but none of those guys have shown to be all that successful at the major leagues yet either. Like you just need to develop pitching because you have you have the start to a good offense with a young Melendez, with Bobby Witt, with Pasquantino. If you're able to, you know, Drew Waters was a high ranked prospect at one time. If you're able to find, you know, a serviceable outfielder in him, like you, you have some of the young pieces here that either have the potential or have shown promise already, but you don't have that on the pitching site outside of Brady Singer, who we already mentioned we're kind of worried about in general. I do have Ace Lacey and Frank Mazzucato, their first round pick from last year, the last two years um, or two of the last three years rather. So, you know, I, I just, have you looked at Ace Lacey lately? Is, is he bad? Cause like um, they, they have those guys, but he's last year, oh boy. A, lot of, yeah. a lot of injury issues. Can't throw. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, so you know they're right. 
you're hitting a nail on the head. They they haven't developed very much pitching, yeah. and it's not good. So no. Well, let's go ahead and transition over to the Detroit Tigers, and we'll go ahead and start with David, who you have a former Cub you want to talk about. Well, of course, I, I two former Cubs actually. I, I wow. I'm I'm throwing Javi Baez's name in the ring. Look because at you being original. Of course, but I, I, the, the, I, Javi Baez is the, the Tigers' best player right now, which isn't saying much, but it's he's still good. He's just not like superstar at this point, and he is what he is. He's going to swing and miss a lot. Going to play good defense. He, hopefully, that the 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 stadium changes that Detroit made benefit Javi in some way, and then the other guys that we're going to hit on. I wanted to mention him, but I'm going to mainly focus on Alex Lang. Uh, who was in the trade for Nick Castellanos a few years ago. Uh, he has emerged as a potential closer for the Tigers and is really nasty. He has some really, really good two-seam fastballs, and uh, I'm sure the, the video has made the rounds of him throwing like a backdoor two-seamer that moves just like all the way across the plate. It's got like 20 inches of horizontal movement. He's He's actually really nasty. 3.41 ERA last year. He's probably going to get save opportunities this year because I think they, they traded Gregory Soto. This is, you know, he's he's really got all the opportunity in the world right here to take over a closing spot. And I think he's maybe the biggest, brightest spot of anybody in their pitching rotation, starter or bullpen. So, uh, you know, look out for him. I don't know if they would be trading him immediately, but it seems like the, the play is if a reliever gets some helium to trade them right now. So, um, you know, he could be a name that's on the move, but he might be their best pitcher on the team next year. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I I won't argue with with Alex Lynch. I, I think he's pretty good. I, I always liked him uh, coming out of college too. I thought he was a pretty solid looking player, and uh, it's good to see him starting to get a little bit of run at the big league level. But um, I guess I'll go ahead make my pick, and this is one that like I think a lot of people have written him off. He was a top three prospect in all of baseball coming into last year, but Spencer Torkelson. You know, a lot of times when we see these guys come up that were that had his pedigree and really flame out at the big league level, a lot of times it's really their they just look completely overmatched at the big league level. Like like Kellenick did a couple of years ago where they're striking out like forty five percent of the time or and never walking and whatever. But Torkelson came up and he didn't play well at all. I mean, he had a negative one war last year in hundred ten games. Like he was really he had a really rough rookie year. But when he did come up like he wasn't just totally overmatched at the plate. I mean, he had a nine over nine percent walk rate, twenty four percent strikeouts isn't great, but it's not like it's not like bust prospect. If you're striking out twenty four percent as a rookie, we're really really worried type things. Like thirty five forty percent, we would be extremely worried for a rookie. That's typically what you would see for a guy who really struggles. But so his his approach wasn't great, but it it wasn't quite as bad as you kind of typically think of like a a really bad rookie being. And uh, you know he had a low batting average on balls in play, which was you know especially compared to what he had done at AAA in the past and in the minors. And um, you know I, I just I feel like the projection system still like him to be an above average hitter, and I don't think he's going to be great this year. But I think we take enough of a step forward here to where he's at least like a above league average hitter and can get to where he can kind of take his lumps at the big league level rather than being like immediately needing to be sent to triple a again. So I do like him going forward as, as improving off of what he did last year. Although, 
you know, maybe that number three prospect in baseball or whatever he was coming into the season last year probably isn't going to be what he ends up being. So I did I wanted to shout him out because I don't think he's as bad as people thought he was last year. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to be as bad as he was last yeah, year. And, I mean, it is. And, and and to to be able to repeat that. But I mean, as high rated prospect, you hope just to see that development um, development there. But. Um, on my side, one guy I wanted to mention before I get to my actual one, I wanted to mention Tarek Skubal. Um, We saw him show flashes of being really, really good last year. He got injured right before the trade deadline, or right after. It was, it was really, really close to that. Um, ended, going, ended up undergoing flexor tendon surgery. Uh, he'll be a little delayed to start the year, I believe, but uh, he's a guy who I was really excited to watch last year and to take that next step forward, so... Uh, look out for him to have a, a good 2023 and us to talk about him more. Uh, but the one guy I wanted to hit on was Riley Green. Um, you know, Matt, you mentioned that Spencer Torkelson was the number three prospect coming into last year. Riley Green was the top overall prospect coming into last year. Uh, tore up spring training, was looking really, really good to make the team um, out of spring training at, like, I believe it was 21 years old at the time. And I believe it broke his foot. Uh, or something, or yeah. got some kind of injury that delayed him into the season. Um, he never really seemed to find that the same swing when he came up. I mean, he showed some flashes there. Um, you know, you want to see him cut down on the strikeout rate just a little bit, but he's always been somebody who kind of runs close to that 27, 25% range. Um, but he can cut that down a little bit and find a little bit more of the walks. He dropped down from, you know, at AAA, he was at about 12%. He dropped to about eight and a half last year. If he can find a little bit more of that walk and take a little bit of that swing and miss out with the dimensions changing um, in Comerica, I think Riley Green is a guy who can have a ton of success um, in the major leagues this year and especially coming in fully healthy. Um, you know, I'm excited to see what he what he can do for that young team. But uh, let's transition over to David. What are you worried about with the Detroit Tigers? So, huh, I, I could, there, there's not a, there's not a single thing. But the, what I, what I wanted to mention was that the Tigers have changed hitting coaches this year, which is going to be huge. Every single player that either joined the Tigers or came up had it worse numbers than they did with whatever organization they were with before the year before or in in the minors all of them regressed when they got to Detroit so the the thing that i'm worried about is are the coach the new coaches going to be able to fix that lineup are we going to be able to get those guys back to what they were before because everybody occurred like accrued these problems like Torkelson was not the only one right Riley Green wasn't the only one who just didn't have it there once they got to the season it was everybody in the lineup and you know, the, the field dimensions changing is going to help. I think it's going to help Javi Baez. It's going to help Meadows. It's going to help Scope. But all of these guys are just really, really, you know, going to need to see some improvement from those coaches in that approach and uh, before the game starts. You got to remember, too, like, you know, you're going to see improvement from some hitters probably just because they'll hit a few more home runs. But that's going to hurt your pitchers, too. I mean, it doesn't really help mm -hmm. your team. It just helps your hitters. <laughs> like, um, But anyways, but I wanted to mention Jonathan Scope. Um, you know, last year he was really, really, really bad at the plate. And I know he's still got some power, but he was horrible at the plate last year. A 
57 WRC plus in 131 games. And it wasn't talked about quite as much as it probably could have been because he played like an unbelievable defensive season that we've never seen from him before. Like this was just by far the best defensive season of his, uh, of, of his career. And, uh, you know, but you know, in 2021, he was a negative 5.2 defensive value on Fangraphs. Last year, he was 22.3 defensive value. Like, he's not a negative defender. He's a decent defender. He's a good defender at second base, but he's probably more of like a, an above average than like elite, elite Gold Glove caliber. So, I mean, if he doesn't improve on his, you know, 57 WRC plus, which he probably will improve on some, and he had a 234 batting average on balls in play, which is really, really low. He'll probably improve on that some, but this is a guy that I would be shocked to put up, you know, more than a one, you know, one wins above replacement or something this year. And I mean, he's being paid real money. I mean, you know, he's being paid like, you know, eight or seven or eight million dollars, which is, you know, it's not a ton, but, you know, it's not zero. So it's not like he's a non roster invite to spring training or something. I mean, it's really, uh, he's really going to have to work on things to, to have a, somewhat decent season and he's kind of counted on as one of their better players. So it's pretty bad, but, uh, but, but Damian, worth, who do, yeah. before we hit Damien for what it's worth, yeah. scopes wow. Babbitt last year was 60 points lower than his career average. Right. I, right. I think, I think he'll be what he's been, which is a one to two war player. Just if you, uh, you give him a little yeah. more on the, on the offensive side, you take away a little on the defensive side. I think he gets back to what he's been for what it's worth. So maybe anyway, we'll see yeah, Damien, who do you not like? Of all uh, the options here, <laughs> the entire pitching staff at the moment. Um, you know, you're going into the year with uh, a healthy starting rotation um, of a guy who had the most innings pitch on that staff was 97 and two thirds, and that's Michael Lorenzen last year. You have Eduardo Rodriguez, who I, I do like Eduardo Rodriguez, but he went AWOL last year for a good a bit of the season, came back and pitched 91 innings. You have Matthew Boyd, who was injured, came back at the end of the year as a reliever and pitched 13 innings. You have Lorenzen, who I just mentioned. You have Matt Manning, who showed he a pretty decent stuff last year. He got to a 343 ERA, but he also got injured and only threw 63 innings. And then you have Spencer Tur- Turnbull, who, who missed all of last year due to Tommy John surgery. And that's on top of, I just mentioned, Scooble already being hurt. And Casey Mai is going to be out for the year with Tommy John surgery that I got last June. Like this rotation is very, very scarce. They don't have a lot of innings and I'm really worried about who's going to be the guy to take the load of the innings um, on that staff and stay healthy. Yeah. So, I, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. I mean, I would, you know, you would hope that they'd maybe develop some of their pitchers like Matt Manning or Casey Mize, but of course Mize is hurt and Matt Manning's not, hadn't really been hadn't really started to look even decent yet i mean i I wouldn't give up on him he's a former top prospect but like man it's been rough yeah absolutely all right david uh so what is your outlook and grade for the tigers man it's oh gosh f i mean <laughs> this is remember last year this is a team that was spending and we were thinking would be competitive for this division and they fell off a cliff um and then this offseason they didn't try to tear it down they didn't try to you know they they, were, they moved on from gregory soto who was a little bit risky anyway um yeah no they they've, they haven't done anything other than change the dimensions of their park and like matt said that might even hurt them a little bit so 
F uh, see if they could find anybody to sell to. I, do you want any of these players? <laughs> this is, this is a team that's kind of aimless right now. And it is very, very scary to be in a spot like this. If you're a, a Tigers fan right now, it's just, it's not good. They don't have a clear direction. Their pro their minor league system isn't nearly as loaded as the Royals had been in a little in the past. Like you don't, they, they have the young guys at the top, but that that's it. And those guys underperformed last year. So it is, it is not a, a, a great place to be for Tigers fans right now. Yeah. Yeah. I gave them, I gave them an F minus for their off season. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's possible because failing is failing, but they're failing in epic proportions right now. And Honestly, like I, I you know, I, I want to see teams spin, but I want teams to not spend stupid. And the Tigers seem like they just spend stupid. I mean, they give a gigantic contract to Javi. This is last year. They give a gigantic contract to Javier Baez, who, while he was really good with the Cubs, his profile is of a guy who's not going to age well. And giving him a gigantic contract was dumb. I mean, Eduardo Rodriguez was a pretty good pitcher for, for the Red Sox, but he was more of a mid-rotation guy. You gave him a lot of money to come in and be your ace instead of get someone else, and he was not good and, like, obviously has some off-the-field issues, too, that he was having to deal with. Like, And then this offseason, I mean, you go spend, like, $12 million on Matthew Boyd, who has been, like – not very good in his career. I mean, he's got a career 490 ERA, and he's pitched – under 80 innings the last three years so and before that like his his best full season in the big leagues that he pitched more than 80 innings he had a 439 era in 2018 like he is just like this this was just this just not not spending money well i mean michael lorenzen i guess is okay but they didn't really bring anybody in in their you know just kind of on like minor league deals and stuff that is even somewhat interesting i mean you would hope that they'd at least bring somebody in interesting that could maybe, you know, you may not be able to flip and they really haven't done any of that. Like this is just a bad off season, a bad a franchise. that's just being run terribly. I know they, they've made some changes this off season, got a, you know, the new, new general manager, you know, there's a lot of new front office here. I hope that they kind of start to fix some things, but man, this team is like it, it's almost impossible. It is very difficult to be as bad as they are as a team and have like a bottom ten farm system that they have. I mean, it's really hard to do that. And I mean, even the top guys in their farm system right now, like Jackson Job in you know the minors last year was horrible, and he's like your number one prospect. I mean, it, it's this team is ooh, they're they're a train wreck right now. Yeah. So on my end, I gave them a D, and that was. It would have been an F had they not traded Gregory Soto, even though I wish they got a better return, and had they not brought the dimensions of the field in. Because I do think that's going to be a pretty big deal, um, you know, for the young hitters to try and develop a little bit more and not to know that it's just going to be a dreaded, you know, out every single time you hit a ball to the gap or, you know, in the right center field gap or, or to right field. Or I just, I very much think that that's going to help some with the, uh, with the offensive profile for hitters going to that park. The best Miguel Cabrera wishes they did this like 12 years ago, but um, you know, it would have been an F had it not been for that. I don't like a lot of their players offensively. I don't like the pitching staff. Like you mentioned, their farm system looks really rough, even though, you know, Maybe you have Job, who he was incredibly young. I think he got drafted right out of high school, so he's like 19 in pro ball, which who knows. But you need to see develop there. 
development. Uh, but I am excited to see what I believe it's Scott Harris can do here. Um, he was a high ranking official in the Giants, um, you know, organization who they didn't have a ton of top prospects. They're able to find ways to to get, you know, solid, productive teams out there that could, you know, win a division, win over 100 games randomly one year. So maybe he brings some of that style over. But as of right now, I give him a D and just get your young pitching healthy. Get Matt Manning healthy for a full season. Get Casey Mize healthy, which I know is not going to happen this year. Get Turks Google. Get full years out of those guys and see what you have. Because if you're able to have the that three of, of Manning, Scooble, and um, Mize live up to their expectations, you have a really solid three in this division that could probably make you be able to compete with even a competent offense. But let's go ahead and transition over to the Minnesota Twins. And David, who do you got that you like on the Twins? We very recently had a uh, long discussion about a bunch of the, the Twins and their offseason, I think in two episodes ago. So uh, I'll go off the beaten path just a smidge with uh, Joan Duran, a uh, guy who throws 103 miles per hour coming out of the bullpen. This is my second closer I've I've gone with. So, um, you know, I'm just in there for the, the nasty pitches, I suppose. But uh, Duran's hopefully going to get some more closing opportunities. He averaged 101 miles an hour in his fastball last year with a 186 CRA. Uh, Presuming he could stay healthy, he might be one of the most dominant closers in baseball. He's also got a splitter that's uh, just disgusting. So I'm a huge fan of Joan Duran. I think he's the type of guy who can uh, show what those kind of former top prospects that don't really pan out, that what they can be. Uh, if you can just get them ramped up, throwing you know Max Velo for an inning or two at a time, uh, Duran's really going to have that kind of impact late in the game that that you look for from a from a top reliever and he he might emerge as one of the another one of the best closers in baseball i know my fantasy team would like that and i also think i saw a piece this year where he reshaped his slider this offseason mm. which could be a, another big thing out there as well but yeah he was mostly uh, fastball splitter last year so yeah he needed that that kind of third pitch but uh matt who do you got from the twins that you like this year um, I went ahead. There's a lot of players that I like on this team, uh, but I went ahead and picked Max Kepler because he kind of gets forgotten about for the Twins, but he's a pretty good player. He's a good everyday player. He's a good defender in the outfield, plays playing in, uh, you know, in, in the corners. And I mean, last year he had a 95 WRC plus, but I really, like I said earlier, I'm kind of a sucker for guys with a good plate approach. And he actually cut his strikeout rate by 5% last year off of what it was in 2021 and he, he doesn't play every day. He's kind of a little bit more, he doesn't play a ton against lefties, but I mean, the projections like him to be an above average hitter. And I mean, with having that with really good defense could be a solid, you know, is, is solid for the twins and having a little bit of a bounce back from him could be really nice for them uh, in 2023. So, um, you know, I, I like Max Kepler, you know, he only hit nine home runs last year. He'll probably hit a few more. And, you know, I, I, I mean, he, he he always runs a low batting average on balls in play, but I just uh, I think the shift might help with that a little bit too. So he's a you know left-handed bat. I, I, I like this guy. I think he's gonna be, have a be, little bit of a bounce back, be an above-average hitter, play solid defense in a corner outfield, which will go a long way for them. Kind of stabilize things uh, with their with their outfields. So I, I really like that. Right, like him this year. Yeah, Max Kepler is one of he's been one of my favorite players um, for quite a while. It, it, one random thing is if you look at his 
baseball savant page compared to what his stats look like, you would not think that that's the stat line of a guy who has literally basically read on every single category, basically for his entire career. Like he is a career 232 hitter and 317 on base. And I swear his expected batting average has to be like for his career, like 280 or 290. Like it, it's insane. I I think the shift's going to help a lot. And I just think he needs to get more of the consistent playing time uh, against righties. And you'll, and you'll see a guy who will be very, very productive uh, for the twins. But uh, another left-handed hitter that I'm excited about on the Minnesota twins is Alex Kirilov. Uh, He's a guy who is, uh, was a highly, highly rated prospect for his hit tool. Um, Looked really good at during spring training last year and at the beginning of the season and then hurt his wrist. Um, Tried to come back from that struggled uh, went down to the minors, found it again, came right back up, and then right as he came back up, hurt his wrist again, and then ended up undergoing off-season or season-ending surgery on the wrist. Uh, it looks completely healthy this year. Now that he's coming in, got the surgery finally needed, uh, and I think uh, you know with his hit profile, if he's able to, you know, hash out whatever swing changes he had to make with that wrist injury, I think you're looking at a guy who could be a very, very good first baseman that will hit for a decent amount of power. Uh, and that twins lineup could use that big time. But David, who are you worried about? Uh, the twins actually have a pretty good little team, but I'm worried about the production from that DH spot. And unless we get the Byron Buxton DH theory that, we were talking about uh, currently projected to run the outfield are Buxton, Kepler, and Joey Gallo. Um, even if Buxton goes to DH and, and Taylor goes to to center field, um, there's going to be a spot where, you know, I think Nick Gordon and Trevor Larnock are going to play a good bit. Both guys are pretty young, former first-round prospects, or first-round picks, but, but top prospects, and I just don't know whether they're going to have enough of an impact uh, either coming off the bench or in that DH spot to warrant their, their roster spot. Um, I, you know, and I, I think that the twins, you know, and Kirilov is, is there as well, where I think of those three guys, the twins need at least one to be a really, you know, to take that step and be a really good player to, I think, contend and win this division. Um, If they don't have that i think this team is going to end up still being short that's what i'm worried about is that they just have that one roster spot that isn't contributing like the rest of them and and that ends up kind of sinking that lineup a little bit yeah i i um i don't disagree with that at all uh i think that's definitely i mean especially with those two young guys maybe one of them kind of figures it out some but but uh the guy i went with uh pablo lopez um I do like Pablo Lopez, so I'm not going to sit here and say that I don't think he's a good pitcher. But I think that there's reasons to be worried. Um, For one thing, his career high in innings pitch was last year at 180. But before last year, the most he had ever pitched in an inning was 111 innings in 2019. Uh, 2021, he only pitched 102 innings. Then, of course, you had the shortened season in 2020. So um, definitely, uh, you know, a little bit worried about, you know, just durability there. And the fact that, He's good, but he's a, he's a really solid pitcher. But, you know, th- it seems like the Twins are kind of thinking that he's going to come in and be like a, you know, top of the rotation. Maybe not an ace, but like at least like a number two. That's 
feel like he's more of a number three pitcher on a good team, maybe a number four. Like he, his strikeout rates aren't fantastic. They went down a little bit last year. And I mean, his expected numbers are in the upper threes ERA wise. That's where the projections have him. I mean, that's a solid pitcher. I think he'll do fine, but you know, if they're th- if the Twins are thinking he's going to come in and be like a, you know, in 2021 he threw to a 307 ERA, and I think that's kind of what people expect him to do. It feels like, and I just don't think he's that guy. I think he's good, but I don't think he's that guy. So that's why I'm put him on the list, just because I just don't totally love love his stuff. But uh, but I think he's pretty solid. So I, you know, not too much to hate. But I uh, I don't know about him being like an elite type guy. We've been over it, but I completely disagree. Yep. Okay. So, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> the uh the guy that I'm worried about on this team is Joey Gallo. Um the mm-hmm. fit seemed a little questionable to me already having a guys like Larnock and Kepler and Kirilov who can kind of already play that corner outfield spot anyways. I know Kirilov's going to transition over to first base. Um but I'd much rather would have just had them give Larnock and Kepler a shot there um to play every single day again and and see what they can get there. Joey Gallo, if he can find the Texas Joey Gallo where he's able to hit a ton of homers and play good defense, then maybe it works out. But if it's the Joey Gallo that we saw, you know, through the end of the 2021 and then into 2022 with the Yankees and even with the Dodgers, like he had some of his his approach looked a little bit better last year or at the end of the season, but the the results didn't show it. Um he needs to be able to find that again. I mean, he'll, he'll, he'll hit you 20 homers if you play him every day, but you're going to get, I mean, was it a 160 average last year and a 280 on base? Like you, you need to find some better production there. Um, and I'm just not sure that the twins are the place that he's going to do that. Um, and I would have just rather had them give their younger guys um, a shot there. I guess even I guess Kepler's technically older, but um, just would have rather had him with his, profile get a get a chance um to show it more but anyways uh what is our outlook and grades for the minnesota twins and we'll start with david so between uh going after correa and signing correa which was a move that fell into the twins's lap admittedly because they didn't originally sign him but they still ended up retaining carlos correa which i think is massive for this team and then the uh, the pablo lopez trade which i absolutely love um this is a team that I think definitely had and, and the Christian Vasquez signing as well, where they're replacing Gary Sanchez with Christian Vasquez. I think this is a team that not only has maintained what they had last year with, with Correa, but they've improved a lot of ways they're, you know, they're not, they're not going to be sending Miguel Sano out there every day anymore. You know, they're, they're definitely on the upswing. I like this off season for them. I think maybe they were a move off but I'm still going to give him the A because Pablo Lopez and Carlos Correa are the types of players that you should want your team to go acquire good players that can stick with your franchise for a long time. You know, Lopez is under control for I think two more years, maybe three. And um, I think it's two more years and Correa is under control for now six years. It's, you know, it's going to be a good time in Minnesota. Maybe 2023 isn't the year that they, break through and get into the playoffs and, and start contending, but it's going to set a really strong foundation that next year they're going to be able to add. So, you know, I think this year it's a find which of those young players is going to contribute really well and build around Korea, build around that Buxton extension. And, you know, I think this is a team that'll be in contention all the way through. They'll at least be 500. I like what they did a for the, the off season and 
let's see what they can do. They'll definitely be contender in this division. Yeah, I um I gave them a B plus for the off season. Uh, that might be a little harsh. Uh, you could give them an A minus too. I think that I, I was kind of in between the two, but I I really like obviously bringing back Carlos Correa is is great for them. Uh, he's he's a really really good player, and you know they seem to have mitigated the potential injury concerns with him with the way they set structured his contract a little bit too, which which is great you know great as well. Um, you know. I like the I really like the Christian Vasquez move. I almost put him on players I like just because I think he's a much bigger upgrade for them than people realize replacing Gary Sanchez. Um, you know, the reason that I didn't give him an A plus is or, or an A is probably because, you know, as I mentioned, at the the Pablo Lopez trade, I, I didn't I think that they definitely won the trade value wise. I don't love giving up if you're going into contender mode, I don't love giving up a you know, a, a really solid, you know, position player uh, off your big league club, you know, in, in that trade, um, you know, it, and of course they brought in a prospect too, which was, which made them, made them really win the trade uh, in my opinion. But, you know, I, I really hated the, to see them give up a major league player for the, to, in that trade and re, rather than, you know, a, a minor league guy, you know, prospects for, for Pablo Lopez. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't really like them spending, you know, whatever it was, the like $10 million, whatever it was on Joey Gallo. I think they definitely could have spent that money better in, you know, in structuring up their bullpen, which with the exception of Duran, who's really, really good. I don't love their bullpen. Um, so I think they probably could have used that, some of that money to help their bullpen a little bit. But uh, I give this team a, uh, you know, I, I think they're possibly the division favorites. They probably wouldn't be a division favorite in any other division, but this one, I mean, I think they're them and the, and the Cleveland are really, really close. Um, I really like their, I like their lineup a lot. I like their pitching staff, uh, the, their starting staff, at least. Um, I don't love their bullpen, like I say, but I mean, you never know with bullpens, they could, you know, have some of these guys take a step forward or something too. So, uh, but I, yeah, I like what they did. And uh, I think this is a really solid team going forward. They, they, the big, biggest thing with this team is they got to stay healthy. I, I mean, I, I really think that's the biggest thing. Like Byron Buxton got to stay healthy. Like Carlos Correa, we know there's injury concerns there. has got to stay healthy. Uh, you know, that's going to be a big deal for them. And if they're able to stay healthy and everything, I think they'll have a pretty good season. So we'll see what happens. But I like, I like them going forward. Yeah, I mean, I'm really close to what Matt said there. I gave him a beef. I think they're a co-division favorite as well. Um, I really, I mean, obviously we talked about Buxton and what I feel about Buxton, um, what he can be if he could stay healthy. Um, the Correa signing was, it was really huge for them. It was really huge for them. This whole thing started with them signing him last year and getting a full season of him taking that risk last year of, you know, him being on the qualifying offer, losing the draft pick for him. He really liked Minnesota. Obviously he wasn't the first choice there, but when it came down to it, you know, they still made the deal to come back and Minnesota felt good there. So I, I give them a little bit of bump because of that. It would have been an A had they not signed, I believe, Joey Gallo and just given their guys the chance. I mean, it's never a, a bad one-year deal. Um, you know, I think Gallo is somebody that would, it, it's it's fine, but I just don't like that they gave him that much money to potentially be a starting outfielder on the team. Um, one thing that, you know, I, I, I'd like their rotation more than most. I like Pablo Lopez. I think Sonny Gray's solid. Joe Ryan showed last year he could be really, really good in, in getting Christian Vasquez in there this year. Tyler Molle is a guy that people are 
you know, they don't aren't paying enough attention to. I think he pitched a lot in great American ballpark and then he got injured as soon as he came over to the twins last year. I think he's a guy who could have a very, very good season and jump into that maybe number two starter role. Um, Kenton Maeda coming back off Tom and John, he was really, really good before it. Uh, and then even there, they have depth this year, which is, I th- don't think, something they had before. I mean, you're looking at Bailey Ober, Josh Winder, who were both serviceable starters. Um, you got Simeon Woods Richardson, who came up at the end of last year. If he needs to jump in and take a big role as a starter this year, I believe in his ability for that. Um, and I believe more in their bullpen than, than Matt does. I think uh, Jorge Lopez is really good. We talked about Johan Duran. Griffin Jackson, Caleb Thalebar showed really, really good promise last year. And even Emilio Pagan, he had a 443 ERA, but I, I it's hard to see him being as bad as he was last year. Um, even if he gets back to a four ERA, I still think that's enough serviceable there um, for a bullpen-wise. And you can throw those other starter arms kind of in there. They've pitched out of the bullpen before, I believe, besides SWR. Yeah. I want to, I want to add one thing, one more thing to to the Twins. I I think this was the place Carlos Correa wanted to be. I think that other places offered him a lot more money, and the Twins weren't willing to do that before the beforehand. And I think that's why he was look he you know had agreed at other places. But I think like when it came down to it, when everything became equal, he kind of wanted to be back with the Twins. Yeah, because he could have signed with the Mets with on the on the cheaper deal, but he didn't. Yeah. But all right, let's transition over to the Chicago White Sox. And they did make a move. They re-signed Ellis Andrews. I believe it was to a one-year, I think, $3 million deal or something. Um, and I think the plan is for him to be the starting second baseman um, going into the year. So now with that in mind, David, who do you like uh, for the Chicago White Sox? I actually really like their the largest signing in club history, Andrew Benintendi. Um I, I think he fits what that offense needs so well. Uh, it was one of the best signings of the offseason. Now, I'm going to go on later and say, why didn't the White Sox sign more, spend more? But I will say that this is my my favorite fit of the offseason. Now, a lot of people have maligned the deal for its length. That can be debated otherwise. But in terms of what the White Sox needed, which was a table setter for and a, and a guy with a, a diverse approach to the rest of the lineup – which when you've got like Tim Anderson, who's very swing heavy, you've got Moncada, whose best season, he was very swing heavy. Um, Eloy is not a guy who takes walks. They needed somebody in that lineup that can take walks, get on base. Andrew Benintendi, that's his best skill, is his on-base skills. I love this fit that Benintendi can come in and either you know split Anderson and Eloy or uh, you know potentially lead off, but... They haven't had good right field production in years, and he's going to play either right or left, but either way, he's going to be a better defender than they've had out there in years. He's going to hit better than they've had out there in years. This is the best fit signing of the offseason, I think, of anybody in Major League Baseball. I think that's a huge step in the right direction for this offense. Yeah, I I like Benetitti pretty well, too. I mean... I don't know if I would have given him the deal they gave him, but he's, you know, I think he's a pretty good player. I don't know if he's quite as good defensively as we might be thinking, but, you know, that's kind of – It's better than they've had, man. They were were throwing first baseman out there to play play the outfield. He's going to play better defense than Gavin Sheets or Andrew Vaughn or somebody. So, you know, who can kind of move to other positions now. But uh, the guy I I picked that I like is Lucas Giolito. He was – had a really rough year last year with a 490 ERA over 161 innings. But honestly, like 
he wasn't that bad last year. He had some rotten luck. Um, you know, his, his numbers on his, you know, strikeouts and walks weren't near as bad as people, you know, you would think with a spike like that. He actually got a lot more ground balls last year than he did in 2021. And, you know, he got a three, a 366 XFIP, you know, and a 406 FIP. He just, I mean, he just had some bad luck. Um, I mean, his hard hit rate was up a little bit, which wasn't great. But, I mean, a lot of his peripherals weren't quite as bad as, you know, kind of people were thinking. I, I think he's definitely going to be better than he was last year. You know, whether he's going to be that 2019 guy who looked like he might be starting to become an ace, I don't really think he's going to be that again. But I think he could definitely be, like, back to kind of being like a mid to upper threes ERA type guy and a really solid rotation piece. So uh, I like Lucas Giolito this year. Someone, I also heard today someone said he, he came to camp, looked like he was in the best shape he'd been in a long time too. So that obviously, like I, like I mentioned at the start of the show, like you're going to hear all these reports and, you know, they're, most of them are probably just not going to matter. But, uh, you know, I don't – that they really factor into what I'm saying. But I, I just – I think he's going to be at least – he's going to bounce back a lot more than he did than, than you might think. So – uh, but I, I like him better than I did better than he did last year. So, yeah, for my guy, I went with Andrew Vaughn. Um, he's a guy who was really good last year. I mean, two seventy one average, just three twenty one on base, hit seventeen homers. Uh, was playing the outfield, which is not his natural position because they still had Jose Abreu. He's now transitioning back to first base, and I think that's going to be a massive, massive boost. Take, put him back in a position he's comfortable in, the position he played most of his minor league career in um, and just allow him to take the full reins of that. And a second year in the major leagues, I think he's going to take a gigantic step forward. So Andrew Vaughn is a guy who I really like for the White Sox. I'll, I'll jump into my guy I dislike, and it's not that I dislike the player, uh, but I, I am very scared that Eli Jimenez will not be able to stay healthy yet again. Uh, is he alive? He, that's the question, right? Can Eli stay alive for a full season? He has not, is the most played appearance he's ever taken is 504 in his rookie season since I mean, and then 2020 he was he was there for the full season but the last two seasons he's missed a ton of games and a ton of time last year only played half the year but he had a 144 wrc plus when he was playing and he's not going to be subjected to playing the outfield if Eloy can stay healthy he's maybe one of the a guy who could take like a Jordan Alvarez level leap into being one of the better hitters and one of the better DHs in baseball, but he's got to stay healthy. He's got to, got to be able to make it there. So uh, I, I think the same message is there for Luis Robert, but I think Eloy's is more important because of how much upside there is in that bat uh, to where he can, you know, Eloy, Luis Robert can kind of play poor hit poorly, but he can field well. Eloy's got to hit. And he hasn't been healthy and been able to to take that take a hold of that DH job. Yeah, I uh, I like Eloy a lot if he's if he's healthy. But like you said, I mean, this is going on like year three or four in a row of him not staying healthy. So you just never know when that might happen. But uh, but yeah, I, I'll go with, go ahead and go to my guy and and I just Clevenger is just such a dumb signing. Like Clevenger. He was, you know, he was injured. He's got, he had off the field issues with Cleveland. They traded him to San Diego. He got injured there and last year came back and was absolutely atrociously bad last year. Um, what striking guys out, you know, giving up tons of home runs, hard contact, had a 433 ERA, but that's, you know, the peripherals say he was worse than that. And, um, 
you know, the White Sox gave them real money. I mean, they could have used if they're if they have a, a limit on their payroll, they could have used that twelve million dollars and put it into something else. But instead, they gave it to Mike Clevenger, and now he's under investigation for domestic violence. So. This is just a really, really, really bad signing. I said at the time it was a bad signing. You don't give real money to a guy like Mike Clevenger. I mean, I thought coming in he would get a minor league deal this offseason, and they gave him $12 million. So I, I thought that was really, really bad. And, uh, you know, he does not – they don't need to count on him in their rotation. I would have signed – I would have just brought back Johnny Cueto. Why, why not give him the $12 million? I mean, I, I didn't understand that signing at all, and I don't think he's going to – if he even pitches this year after the issues he's had um, – I don't know if he's, um, you know, I don't even think he's going to be good if he does. So I, I thought that was really not, I don't, I don't like him at all this year. Yeah. The guy that I'm worried about is Yon Mercado. Like his walk rate basically sunk by half last year. He was striking out. I mean, he, he had a 76 WRC plus, um, you know, I, I think the first part goes in. I think he needs to stop swinging left-handed. I think he just needs to go from the right side of the plate because he's horrific as a left-handed batter. I mean, a 204 average last year, at least batting from the right side, he had a 241 average um, and hit for about half the homers, but in 200 and something less plate appearances. I think he's just a much better hitter from the right side. I think he sees the ball a lot better from that side. Um, and for a guy who needs to be counted on to be, you know, a big part of that offense, uh, and who had so much promise, um, you know, coming in with a new manager now, he's only has two years on his contract. Like you need to start showing now that, that you're, you're willing or that you're ready to take that jump that you need. I mean, he's been a guy who's had a bad season and then a good season and then a bad season and then a good season and then a bad season and a good season. Now he's on a bad season. So I think you're expecting a good season here, but you need to be able to show that you can, consistently stay good uh, and i think the start is to to go from the right side of the plate but uh, we'll see there yeah, yeah the one thing I, I do want to add real quick on mancata uh is that last year he dealt with some injuries and i'm hoping that maybe the oblique strain he had might have affected him i'm, I'm hoping that he can bounce back because i but i agree and, and injuries have been an issue for him in the past too so uh, i'd like to see him stay healthy it's cut a little bit like eloy for me yeah all right, David, so what is your grade and outlook? This is a the White Sox team that is coming off of a year where I think we would either pick them for the ALCS or the as World Series type team. And now, you know, nobody thinks they're even maybe a playoff team, right? I mean, I'll, I'll say they're at least going to be contending for the wild card, but they didn't act like it this offseason, right? They, they filled their biggest need in years in the corner outfield. And then, like Matt said, they signed maybe one of the most overpriced fifth starters on the market setting the fifth starter market for everybody else in a way that like, you know, Matt Boyd was going for like $10 million and stuff. So just a weird off season from this team. Elvis Andres helps. He was really good for them last year. I think he unlocked some power, which should be interesting, but um, you know, I, I, this, they didn't take advantage of their, the last this last year and then this season they didn't add any big names they didn't make a trade from the the dearth of of good you know relief pitching that they have or you know even trading Moncada potentially I think teams would have still paid decently for for a guy like that it, you know it's just a they just they're, they're kind of aimless right now and it, it shows in their managerial choices and everything else this is a very talented team the good rotation a good lineup superstar level players 
can they put it together for a full season? They didn't add more than, you know, Benintendi. So maybe uh, I'll say, you know, C grade. And then, you know, can they can they contend? Yes. 500 would be my prediction maybe at this point. Yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree with that. Um, I think um, I, I had them in their offseason. I gave them a C minus. I think that's fair. I was kind of thinking about dropping it, but I mean, Ben Attendee, I think it, I think that's totally fine signing. He had some contact for them, some own base percentage. That's something they really needed. They have a lot of guys who are high strikeout guys, and I think that might that that'll help them some. Um, you know, I, I think that I like I said, I, I, I expressed how much I hated the Clevenger signing. Um, you know, I, I I think that maybe. You know, adding Andrews helps them a little bit too. I don't know how good he's going to be, but it's a really cheap contract. So, you know, there's really not much downside to it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I think they probably could have done a little bit more. Um, I think that they are, a, a, I think they're an okay team. Um, there's a lot of variability with this team because there is a scenario from looking at their roster, like if everyone stays healthy. And some of their guys who maybe were a little bit banged up last year at times and weren't, you know, and, and you know, dropped off a little bit, had a bad year. If if, if all of the, if, if some of them really like like Yasmani Grandal or Yon Moncada and, and Eloy, if those types of guys, if they're healthy this year and they kind of bounce back to what we think their true form is, this team could still be really good. But they've kind of just had like, there's not a lot of depth there. I mean, look at their rotation. Like Dylan Cease has had a breakout year Lance Lynn's still fine I think like he's kind of old but he's okay I think Giolito will bounce back some I've already expressed Clevenger but Kopech is there I mean it, it really sucks to see them lose Garrett Crochet to Tommy John surgery last year I don't know when he'll be back he got the surgery real early last year so maybe he could be back at some point this year and then Liam Hendricks is really tough to lose him to you know he has, he has cancer so um you know best wishes to him. I mean, he's, you know, from a baseball standpoint, he's your, you know, he was their closer and one of the best in baseball. So it sucks to lose those two guys, but man, I, I think this team could be really good, but I kind of put down like they're, I guess they're wild card contenders, but if with some fortune that could be like one of the best teams in baseball, but like, I think that, you know, if you kind of have normal amounts of normal amounts of, um, you know, of guys that get injured and stuff this year, like the drop off for each individual player is enormous and it'll really hurt them. So I think they're, in some ways, I think they're a little bit like the angels are like, if you lose one of your starters, you're just screwed. So that's, um, I don't know. I, I think they might be a wild card contender, but I, I could see them ending up with a 500 ish record too. So I'm kind of with you, David. Yeah. I gave him a D on the off season and um, you know, I didn't love Andrew Benintendi becoming your biggest signing in club history. I mean, he, he, he's a decent fit, but I don't think he was worth that label for him. And then losing Jose Abreu, who I, there was behind the scenes issues, but that was your clubhouse guy. That was your franchise face. Um, and, and you lose him and you pretty much replace that with Andrew Benintendi and you didn't really do anything else on the on the offensive side of the ball. And then on the pitching staff, you 
really didn't do anything there either. Like this is a team who didn't do anything. They have zero depth. Um, you know, but you mentioned they lost Johnny Cueto. Like they even lost Josh Harrison, who was a solid middle infielder for them. They DFA Danny Mendick, who was a decent defensive guy who had, um, you know, some control left. You let AJ Pollock go like who was, he wasn't great last year, but he's still a a veteran presence there. And and would he give you more depth there? Like your bench right now is Jake Berger, Victor Reyes, Larry Garcia, and Sebi Zavala. Like that's a really bad bench. And then past the pitching staff, we already mentioned, I mean, this still has Clevenger as, as the, the starting pitcher there, but if he, anything happens with him, you go look down at their like next starting options. And it's like, Davis Martin, Jonathan Stever, AJ Alexi, and then a bunch of like non-roster invite guys. Like they don't have anybody to fill into that rotation should any of those people get injured. And you're talking about Kopech who has had issue, you know, injury issues, Lance Lynn who dealt with a lot of injuries last year, you know, Giolito who he wasn't great but he hasn't really dealt with injuries, but what's that going to be like? I mean, it just this team really really screams like no depth and I'm not even that that good at the moment to even I don't even think they're going to be a wild card contender. I mean, looking at the rest of the teams in the American League, I mean, you got three teams in the East that you could say are probably legit contenders. You got the top two teams with the Tigers or not the Tigers, the Twins and the Guardians in this division. And then you look in the AL West where you have potentially four teams that could compete for a wild card. I mean, I I don't see a path for the White Sox to be a contending wild card team this year. The one thing I want to push back on on that was that it's not Benintendi's fault, nor is it that that he's the biggest signing in club history, right? I'm not saying it's Benintendi's fault. That's why I'm giving the White Sox a bad grade this offseason. No, no, no. And it's it's entirely – it's not like – it's like giving him that label. It's not his label. It's the White Sox's label. They have screwed up royally by not paying – for bigger free agents than Andrew no. Benintendi. And that is a Absolutely. major black mark on the franchise right now. Kind of reiterating Absolutely. what you're saying, but yeah. 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 Hey, I want to add one thing too, real, real quick, but the change in manager is going to help them a lot. That's something that really helped them last year. I think the vibes in the clubhouse were bad all year. There was a lot of issues. I think that will help. Even though I don't love their hire, it'll be better than what they had. So that's, that's going to be a big factor for them too. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Well, jumping over to the Cleveland guardians, David, Go ahead and say the easy choice. I know I, I I didn't I didn't have to think very long about this one, but it's Jose Ramirez. I mean, there's not a whole lot more to say, but he's maybe still the most underrated player in baseball. I still can't believe he signed an extension to stay in Cleveland for just a hundred and was a hundred and forty one million. I mean, what an absolute steal for the Guardians! I can't believe they convinced him to take that. This is a guy who, if he jumped to free agency next season would make $400 million, I think, without question. Uh, He's been consistently one of the best third basemen in baseball. He's going to have a Hall of Fame resume when it's all said and done. He's a 2020 guarantee with, you know, potential for 30 steals and 30 homers this year, I think. Uh, Approach is just out of this world good. MVP candidate, like, there's not a whole lot more to say. Jose Ramirez is awesome. Watch him play if you haven't. He's so good. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's hard to go wrong with Jose Ramirez, but um, I wanted to shout out another guy who I think gets underappreciated a lot, and that's Shane Bieber. Um, this is a guy who, you know, last year had a 288 ERA, a 287 FIP, a 298 XFIP, 
and a f- almost five war on the season. He pitched 200 innings last year, which that was his problem in 2021 was not being healthy, and he fixed that last year. He only walked – he walked less than two guys per nine innings. He's really, really good. People don't give him any credit. People don't talk about him. I mean, in 2020, he won the pitching triple crown. I mean, even though that was a shortened season, like this guy is really, really good. And he's a true ace, and I don't think people give him credit for it, just maybe because he doesn't throw 100 or something. But he's really good. Um, I, I think he's going to be really good this year. Yeah, my guy for the Guardians is Tristan McKenzie. Uh, and I want to put in parentheses here because it's a joke going around that he sucks uh, for ours. But no, Tristan McKenzie is is really, really good, I think. Uh, you know, Cleveland always has a way of developing pitchers. Um, and McKenzie last year found a way to pretty much – drop his walk per nine rate by half. Um, and I think there's even a little bit more in there that he could potentially find. Um, I think there's a solid team around him. And I just think that the, the way the guardians are able to develop pitching, he got almost 200 innings last year. If he could find out a way to strike a couple more people out, if he can get that strikeout rate back where he had it in 2021 at 10, 10 strikeouts per nine uh, and keep the walk right here. Like you're talking about a guy who, yeah, he had a 2.96 ERA. The peripherals don't quite back it up all the way, but I mean, at three and a half, half wins above replacement there to be a number two starter on this team, with Bieber and JRAM already being gone, I mean, I think McKenzie can take a, a decent step here to be a, a guy who we're looking at and be like, that's the next Cleveland guy that we're all looking at and saying, of course it is. I cede my right to go now, Matt. J- you go next because yours fits. Right, compounding off of uh, what Damian just said. Yeah, I, I'll go. I, I was gonna say I, I got my, as my guys I don't like, uh, which not necessarily that I don't like them, but I, I got Tristan McKenzie and Cal Quantrill kind of being more of the guy that I think is gonna drop off. But I mean, their peripherals were just nowhere near what they had ERA wise. Like both of them. I mean, like uh, both of them are like a run short of their xFIP, and I think that. You know, the, the fact that the Cleveland Guardians play really good defense on the infield. I mean, you've got like literally three gold glover caliber players on your infield, but it definitely attributes to, contributes to that. But I mean, at the same time, like it's never been sustained in baseball to have a full run short of your XFIP for two guys for two years in a row. Like, I do think there's a chance. I didn't want to put McKenzie quite as much because I do think there's a chance that he actually improves his peripherals because he's really young still. He's only 25, coming into his age 25 season. And his peripherals were pretty good last year, even though it wasn't um, it wasn't quite what his ERA was. But Cal Quantrill is kind of the main guy. It's like, you know, it's a guy who he only strikes, he only strikes out six guys per nine. And he had a 439 XFIP last year and a 338 ERA. I just don't think that's sustainable. And uh, I think they'll take a little bit of a step back, even though I do still like McKenzie. Um, I don't think he's going to be quite as – he's not going to pitch to a sub-3 ERA in my opinion. And I think just from a fact of like if that's what you're expecting from him, I think you'll be disappointed. But I think he's a three-and-a-half ERA type guy this year, which is still good. It's still a really, very solid pitcher, but I, I, I'm not – totally sold the one other thing too is the shift is going to hurt this pitching staff because of the fact that they get a lot of ground balls and i think that's going to hurt them a little bit too i think you're right and it does you know you mentioned the the gold glovers on the infield that leads into my uh my just my my worriedness is is andre Semenez a six war player 
you know, he comes off this year with a, a massive season, but, you know, he and Ahmed Rosario were both really good. Def, you know, it, Jimenez was better than Rosario by a, a wide margin, but neither of them ran a particularly strong walk rate. Both of them benefited from a good batting average on balls in play. Both of them ended up with a fairly high batting average, 297-283. I'm wondering if those seasons are replicable. You know, uh, Jimenez, six war, Rosario, almost three war. You know, Rosario had did both, you know, Rosario had come over from uh, from New York because he wasn't panning out there. And then he goes and has a three war season. I think Jimenez comes from New York as well. Uh, you know, do they revert to their old tendencies? Do they have a worse batting average on balls in play? That would definitely hurt this Cleveland lineup, I think. And, uh, you know, that's what worries me about this team. This is a really solid team, though. There's not a whole lot to be worried about. Uh, even if Andres Jimenez is like a four-war guy next year, that's still a really darn good player. Yeah, yeah the one that I'm a little worried about, and it's not a ton worry, it's just that I don't know if the success he had last year is completely, like, repeatable. And that's Stephen Kwan. Um, he doesn't hit the ball hard at all. He doesn't get velocity. He doesn't slug it. He barrel. I mean, he doesn't get good barrels on the ball. I mean, all that's kind of the same, but he doesn't strike out and he hits soft contact. I'm just worried that a lot of those are now going to turn, you know, that, that the bloopers aren't going to bloop as much, um, or they're not going to squib through the hole as much. Like I just, there's something there that I, I'm just not sure that he's going to be able to repeat a, 300 batting average and a, you know, 373 on base. He might, he might repeat the on base, but I just don't think he's going to be a guy who can consistently hit 300 batting average. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I look like a fool at the end of the day, but it's just the profile is what worries me there. I don't know if we've seen a lot of people be able to sustain that success for many, many years. Steven Kwan is what you think Nick Madrigal is. Nicky barrels is completely (laughs) different. All right. No, not at all. Stephen Kwan's. Re- I I actually really like Stephen Kwan, but he, you're yeah. right. His his profile worries the hell out of me. But he's the type of player that can make it work because he walks a ton. He has such a good strike zone knowledge. I just think he can make it work in a way that these other a lot of other slap hitters are going to struggle to do. Yeah, it's like if it, I think he's if Arias was a really good defender and could run the bases. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And that's my thing. I, I'm I'm just a little worried about the yeah. profile. Not I'm not yeah, so worried that he's not going to be able to be repeated, but it's just I, I think he's going to be more of like a two seventy guy, like which yeah. is still great. I just I just don't think he's going to be a three hundred guy every year. Try, but um, anyways, so David, what is your grade and your outlook for the Guardians? I had them on a C plus on their off season. You know, it's just Josh Bell, really um, not a whole lot of addition, the kind of addition by subtraction where they got rid of some fluff on their roster. They're going to give more at bats to the Naylor brothers. Um, got Mike Zunino, which is uh, probably going to help the pitching staff a little bit. Uh, I had to look it up and I have to mention this though. St- Stephen Kwan had a 95% zone contact rating last year, that which yeah. is just, that's absurd. Um, I was looking it up while, while we were finishing that conversation, but uh, overall, I really like this team. I think this is your division favorite. Um, they got the, they got the pitching rotation, even if McKenzie is, it follows, you know, Matt's worry, you know, even if Quan drops, like I said, even if Jimenez drops, 
or even if Quan drops like Damien said, even if Jimenez and Rosario drop like I said, if all those negatives hit, I think this is still the best team in the in the division. So rather easily, I think this is the, the division favorite and um, is a really solid team all around. Got a future Hall of Famer at the top, you know, got an ace, true ace in the rotation, got an elite closer in Emmanuel Classe, got a super good bullpen that we didn't talk about at all. So, yeah. uh, you know, C plus on the off season, but that really didn't matter. They didn't have to do a whole lot. This is a good team. Yeah, I um, I, I agree for the most part. I think that they're kind of a one A division favorite with the Twins kind of being one B, in my opinion. Um, I just think they have a little bit more depth than the Twins. But um, I thought there's their off season. I gave them a uh, a uh, C. Uh, I thought that, I mean. They probably could have done a little bit more. Um, I like the Zanino ad. I think that's a kind of an under-the-radar type thing where Zanino was injured a lot last year. But year before last, he was an all-star. He was really, really good. He's going to help them defensively. And, I mean, as a bat, like, he, the worst-case scenario is he's as good as the bat they had last year, Austin Hedges. And, like, that's like a zero percentile for – I mean, he's basically Austin Hedges if Austin Hedges hit a lot of home runs. So, um, and – you know, and then Josh Bell, I don't really love that signing, but I mean, it's kind of hard to just hate on that. I mean, it's not like they really lost a ton of guys. So, I mean, he's an upgrade over Owen Miller, who was playing first a lot for them last year. So, it's fun. I thought some of their some of their guys that they added in as a you know were kind of under the radar. You know, minor league contracts really good. I really like them signing Tuki Toussaint. I think that's a guy that they might figure something out with. Um, and uh, you know, they're just that kind of thing. They they seem to do pretty well with those types of guys. So we'll see what happens with them. But they're they're probably my co favorite for the division. Maybe a tiny bit above the twins. Yeah, I have I gave them a B, and I'm on the other side of Matt. I have them as the co favorite, but I think I have the twins just a little bit higher. Um, I just like the twins' depth a little bit better than I like the Guardians. Um, you know. We can never count out the Guardians starting pitching. Like they have Bieber, McKenzie, I think Quantrill, Savali, and Plesak will probably turn it around this year. They have a really, really good bullpen. I mean, they have like, none of their pitchers last year had over a three, what, three, three ERA in the bullpen last year. And that was Eli Morgan, who I think they're it was his first year really being a bullpen arm. I think there's more in the tank there. Um but they don't have any depth on the starting rotation as at the moment. I mean, you got I think it's it's um see if I can get there. Uh Connor Pilkington, Tuki Toussaint, Logan Allen, and a bunch of other guys that nobody's Xavier ever really... Curry. Yeah, maybe. But I, I just don't love the depth. I still think the twins depth is, is better there. I, I think the twins bench is better than the Guardians bench right now. I mean, you got Gabriel Arias, Tyler Freeman, Cam Gallagher. I mean, I just none of those guys really scream of people that I want on my bench over any of the other guys. I mean, if you're looking at like Larnock and other and other scenarios over there, but I still think it's a really good team. I mean, they added Josh Bell; they really didn't lose anything. I'm higher on Bell than you guys. I mean, I think if he even repeats what he did last year, which he was basically non-existent in the second half for the Padres, um, if he just repeats this year at a 266 with 17 homers and a 362 on base, like that's that's a big addition to this offense. Who um, I don't even know who is the one that they're dropping out. Who, who's the the guy that's dropped out of this lineup? I mean, obviously, Hedges. Got Miller, by Zanino, yeah. But 
yeah, I mean, you're replacing basically Owen Miller or Tyler yeah. Freeman or something with Josh Bell, which I don't think at the end of the day, I don't think that's a bad move. I mean, overall, I think it's, it's I, a really solid addition to the lineup. I think it brings you a, a, another power potential to that lineup. Um, even if it's not 30 homer power, I think a guy who could potentially hit 20. I think it's it's a really solid team. They're co-division favorite. I just have them, I think, just a tiny bit under the twins, um, which this all might change by the time we do our division predictions here in six weeks. But uh, but we'll see. My my one thing with that is that, and maybe maybe I should save this for later. But I like the I like the top end players on the Guardians so much more than I like the top end players on the Twins. Just based fan. on just based on like I mean Correa is really good and all, but J Ram just has this upside level that just Correa hasn't matched yet. You know, Buxton could maybe get there, but then, you know, this this Guardians team just, I mean, Jimenez came out of nowhere and matched a Buxton year. Like, I, I'm just, you know, trying to think of a reason that I would pick the, the Twins to, to, to close that, what's it, like a 20-game gap or a 15-game gap. I, I just, Mine is depth. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's depth and, and a lot better pitching for the Twins this year. It, I mean... Bieber and McKenzie and their bullpen is so much better than the Twins. Even no, though I'm, I'm, I, no, I'm, I'm talking about. We'll talk I'm about saying it. better pitching for the Twins compared to what they had last year. Oh, okay. Like, I think, I think that's a big thing. I mean, we'll talk about it, obviously, but I, I, yeah. I think it's. I think the gap is a lot closer than people think. The gap was close and last think, year too. It's the I think I disagree. I, I, I feel very confident in this Guardians team. I don't know. I, I, maybe it's just a hunch. Maybe it's history. I don't know. But I feel very confident that they're still they're still a step ahead of the Twins, and I like the Twins off season. This brings good conversation up in about six weeks. Oh yeah. So, um, and that was kind of our division wrap up, which is kind of what we wanted to do at the end of it, anyways. But uh, before we go ahead and get out of here, any last uh, last minute things you guys want to hit on? No. Nope. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, uh, I mean, I think that this division is really weak and there's some weird stuff. Like there's two teams that are horrible. There's two, there's one team that might be horrible, but might be pretty decent. And then there's two teams that are probably pretty good, but we don't really know and don't have a ton of depth. So this is going to be, this, this might be the worst division in baseball. And it might also be the most interesting division in baseball. Like there's three teams. We just don't know. Uh, and we just don't know what's going to happen here. So definitely going to be a fun one to watch. And you might have a really close race in this division too. So, um, so it'll be fun to see. Maybe. Also, let us know what you think about the new music since uh, I had to change it last minute because YouTube decided they want to start copyright claiming our videos. So that's fun. Uh, let us know what you guys think about that. Let us know your predictions for the AL Central. And as always, we'll catch you guys next week.